Hello, you gorgeous teacher. Welcome to Everything EFL. I'm Erin. If you are one of my lovely regular listeners, welcome back. Lovely to see you. If you are a new listener and this is your first time, welcome. I'm delighted to have you. Maybe you're an Ollie Richards fan. Obviously, if you've seen the episode description, you'll know that he features very heavily in this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I think it's really enlightening. I think it's a really important one. I think that his views align a lot with mine and hopefully yours too. And while I have your attention, if you haven't yet subscribed to Everything EFL, why not? Press that subscribe button, please. And also in the show notes, you'll see a link to my newsletter. It's not too intrusive. It's only a couple of times a month. And in there, you'll receive some freebies, some tips, just just sort of some general chit chat, just sort of some meanderings from my mind. Could be anything, could be literally anything, but it's a great way to keep in touch. And, you know, if you have something to say, if you have any feedback or comments or suggestions or anything that you would like me to do, hit that reply button and let me know. I'd absolutely love to engage with you. So anyway, without further ado, let's crack on. Hi, this is Erin and welcome to Everything EFL, my little podcast about English language teaching and other teachy stuff too. Credit and honourable mentions will be given during the episode or in the show notes. Let's crack on. Okay, so today I'm talking to someone who is giving me serious career envy. When I was listing his accomplishments for this intro, I started to feel quite bad about myself. Um, he has a podcast, he blogs, he's published books. He's a bit of a language learning ninja as well. Is it eight languages you speak? I say eight because it's just it's better than changing the number all the time. But I mean, I've learned like 10 languages. I These days I speak only half of them. They go go up and down over time, and then I get some back, and it's all a bit bit crazy. But, but we'll say yeah, eight. Let's, we'll let's say, say eight. eight. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also offers language courses, and from I will teach you a language. It's Ollie Richards. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Did I miss anything? Ah, uh, no. That was a wonderful intro. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, so um, I've been listening to quite a few of your pods, and I'm finding them quite interesting because usually I would listen to other pods about how teachers teach, but you go from the perspective of how learners learn. So it's a different perspective. It's very educational, and one idea you subscribe to kind of goes against the training of the communicative method, which all teachers are generally trained in. So I'd like to start by talking about that. Um, yeah. You did an interview with Dr. Stephen Krashen, which uh, must have been a bit of a fangirl moment for you. <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I was, uh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. It was a few years ago now, but that was great, yeah. So he says that when we understand what people say or when we understand what we read, then the ability to speak results from that. And schools are very much about speaking straight away, whether it's eliciting single vocab words like white, pink, blue, or hello, how are you? My name is. So what are your thoughts on that? I think there's a few, a few rocks to, to place in the jar here. So the first, the first of which is that I don't think based on the research into second language acquisition that we can say much at all with any confidence about how people learn. I think the best that we can do is to say in general, in certain contexts, these studies have found this possibility, this, this, this suggestion about how people might learn best. That's really as, as close as we can get. We don't know how people learn. And, um, and so as a result, what, what tends to happen in the language teaching world, whether that's in language schools or in, uh, or in the, or in the, the state system is that you, you, you choose your method based on how you can make the most out of the situation that you've got. 
because it's silly to think that a class full of 30 10 year olds are going to learn the same way as a independent adult learning a foreign language for the first time language learning is so situation specific context specific that i think most of the the decisions that i see being made by by teachers by ministries of education by textbooks by methodology inventors whatever it may be it's so much about the it, you know it's 80 percent context 20 percent theory my my kind of way into this was i really started off as a language learner so when i was like about 19 20 i started learning languages uh, with a real passion and i lived in a few different countries picked up on a bunch of languages and i kind of developed my my beliefs about how you go about learning languages and then in my late 20s i i had a kind of foray into the english teaching world i i did a celta delta um, i did a master's degree i taught for for a few years as well and i remember going into that assessing the way that we were being trained to teach through the prism through the lens of my experience learning languages and my the whole experience was was one of like hang on that doesn't make any sense what are you talking about like, what, why would you do something like that but i came to realize that that's really it, it's not about it can't be about optimal efficiency optimal um uh, language learning beliefs it, it, it has to be about the 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 context so i think uh, you know the communicative approach it may well be the most appropriate thing for uh, for, for, for a state school situation. Um, but I do think if the question is how do how are languages best learned, then I, I subscribe to Krashen's view, which is, as you said, you, you learn things, you acquire language when you understand messages which are which are either read or, or, or heard. And that's how we acquire. That matches up with how I've always learned languages. Um, so all of which is to say that it depends, which is the most <laughs> wonderful answer to everything. Okay, thanks. So now, obviously, sort of, you, you're you're really into stories, aren't you? Like learning English through stories. Mm. Now, obviously, stories are used in schools and language lessons. I would argue with younger students more. So, do you think teachers of all levels and ages um, should exploit this method more? Because we're very stuck on the notion of production and speaking is the best thing. The more yeah. you speak, the more confident you become. But it, that doesn't allow for shyer students or older students learning blocks or effective filters when it comes to language learning. Yeah, well, there's, there's so much. There's, there's so much packed into what you do, what you just said, right? So the, the, I mean, the problem you just articulated is about differentiation in the classroom. So you know, how do you, you know, this is another way that you have to judge the method that you choose. Like, does your method, is it purely the most efficient method, or does it actually also cater equally for shyer students for, for more uh, outgoing students and you know i think there's a strong case to be made that the community approach would be great for students who are very outgoing um sociable extroverted but really horrible for people that don't like being having a spotlight shone on them in in class um so my my approach with stories um comes from this basic belief that we learn through input and we learn through context and this is the, the the view that i'm taking here is one for, is one of as an independent adult learner how do you learn best that's where i'm coming from right yeah. so i think it's a so if i were teaching an adult so if an adult comes to me and says ollie what's the fastest way for me to learn spanish i'll tell them look you have to get as much input as possible because you're going to learn the spanish language through lots and lots of input over time i think it's a different question in how, how you apply that to a school setting for the reasons mm. that we've, we've already talked about. And stories are a, a way to 
I mean, the point I think is not so much about stories, but more about extensive reading, because extensive reading is is really the 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 act here. This is the, the the kind of pedagogical tool, and you know you can do extensive reading with nonfiction just as much as stories. But I happen to like stories because um, you know they capture the imagination. People like reading books; they're fun and, and all that. So I think the what I would say is that in general, I think that language teachers should try to use more reading in class as, as much as is possible uh, and that's mostly because very little reading is done at the moment it's true and so you know i think it has to be down to individual teachers to understand their their, their learners to know how the, how to get the most out of the class but i think you know a language education that doesn't include a good bit of reading you've got to wonder you know what what they're missing there yeah so if um, a teacher decided, OK, I'm going to do an extensive reading project, let's say, because obviously it would take some time um, in your mind, how should teachers instruct students or how should the teacher approach this for, for a better payoff? Yeah, well, it really depends on, a few, on, on the level of the students. OK, so if you're doing um, the, 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 cal- the calculation is very different depending on if you, you're teaching beginners or intermediate or advanced learners. So um, is there any particular area that you'd prefer to focus on i always tend to go towards adults because that's who i teach but i know that i think a lot of my listeners teach younger learners maybe sort of maybe teens yeah so i mean again even with even with teens when you've got kind of beginner teens or then you've got yeah you've got a high level teens. it's very 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 specific but i mean there's a few different approaches i mean one of one of the first decisions you've got to make is for example are you going to do reading in class time or are you going to set the reading for for homework? And I think mm-hmm. that if you can, if you've got higher level independent learners, ideally you should set that reading as homework because then you're maximizing class time. You should um, try to get, you want, you want to always try and have as much continuation of learning outside the classroom as, as possible, right? So, you, and, 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 a, and stories are one of the best ways to do this because you can literally just assign a story and say, right guys, go, go, go away and read it. And then we'll talk about it in the next lesson. And the lesson time is best used, obviously not for reading, because there's no value added there. The only way that, that a lesson kind of adds value to the reading is by giving you some kind of structured time to read where, where you wouldn't otherwise do so. But ideally, the reading would happen at home. And then in the class time, uh, you can do all, all the kind of reading activities that that you would normally do with with extensive reading. We could talk about those if, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, but often that's just not practical because... You might not be able to get people to read at home. I mean, it's easier with a group of adults, I guess, than it would be mm-hmm. with, with kids. It's difficult to get people to read at home. You might have to give them other homework because you've got tests coming up and stuff like that, in which case you're restricted to doing reading during class time. And then you're really up against it because you've got to um, you've got the rest of the curriculum to teach as well. So the way that um, that I like to suggest approaching this is to look for links between the syllabus that you're teaching and that language content within stories so for example if you have to teach the past tense can you find a story with that's written in the past tense because then you are you're using the story to consolidate the learning i mean assuming that you're teaching you're also teaching grammar in a more structural way then by by using extensive reading you're able to kind of give practice at at that stuff in a, in a natural way and, um, and in class time, you've, you, it's really just a question of making the best of, of what you've got. So you, you're probably going to be choosing shorter passages of reading and then try to 
find the time to do you know post post reading activities and the discussions and and, and those kind of things but in this kind of scenario you're already talking about compromise and making work whatever you can it's it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky situation so so the british council did some very interesting research uh, a while back which listed reasons that teachers don't use extensive reading in the classroom and so the but by far the, the most common response was really not knowing how to and not understanding how it can work so i think there is probably a a, a training gap in a lot of situations so to someone who has um who's never used extensive reading i think the main the main thing i'd, I'd, I'd suggest is really just trying it out because it, it's it can be difficult to figure out how to how to make it work and it can be difficult to to understand how it can be an effective use of class time especially when you've got tests to teach but i would really encourage teachers listening to to try it out because what because what you stand to gain there's so much potential upside right from encouraging students to read at home to just giving them more exposure to language to giving them examples of what language is actually like in the real world when it's not hidden within uh, within textbooks so there's so much to be gained the, the most important thing is to give it a try because you can't you can't have any of the benefits of it unless you actually uh, you know give it a try so it's it's not as scary as it sounds it really isn't yeah and you're also quite into the notion of um reading repetitively so not just reading it once reading it again and again so that you know students notice different grammar patterns they notice new phrases and stuff like that yeah i mean i find it useful and again it depends on the context right so again mm. if you're a higher level learner let's say that you're a you know, b1 b2 level learner then i think it's a little bit different i think at that point you know the, the challenge ahead of you as a learner at that point is just acquiring huge amounts of less frequent vocabulary and so in that con in that situation you already have a fairly decent command of the language and so then re just reading extensively is is your best bet you know just read as much as you can on topics that interest you because otherwise you're just never going to encounter enough vocabulary with enough frequency to ever to ever learn it but for lower level students um reading can be difficult and you've got to relearn reading skills so you know we don't transfer reading skills from our mother tongue into foreign languages so in reading in our in our mother tongue we will do things like um predict what's in the text from the headline we'll kind of scan through to to, to just get a sense of, of what it is um but when we're reading in a foreign language we will just start reading from the first word of the first sentence and then word number two number three number four number five it's, it's like we never knew how to read so we have to kind of relearn reading skills and um, that's one of the, the biggest biggest value adds I think teachers can give is actually helping students get from seeing a piece of text and, and seeing this big wall of text, which is what it looks like, a huge wall of words, getting from there to, okay, how do we approach this step by step? And actually showing them, okay, well, what, can you scan this and find a bit of information? Can you look at the title or, or the illustration and guess what might be in there? Try to get uh, students behaving re reading in a more native like way because that opens up the the possibility of, of reading in a more in a more natural way and so it within that context often what will happen when people read is because they're focusing on just one word at a time they can fail to actually grasp the meaning of what's of what's happening and, and I, I i've done this plenty of times as a foreign language learner i'll kind of really work my way through a, a japanese text or something understanding every word and then i kind of get to the end of it and think well, what was that about again mm -hmm. you know so hence the need to 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 read and reread and so if you imagine on the first reading you get nothing other than the general topic maybe on the second reading you understand the message and then the third reading you pick up a few new vocabulary words with each 
each pass at the text, your comfort level and your confidence level grows. So you're able to, to get and extract more information from the text. So that's why, um, why rereading can be, can be so useful. Mm. And you also mentioned, or was it Krashen who mentioned compelling input, which is a vital part of it as well. So I think um, if teachers choose texts that um, they know the students are going to be into, and maybe even offering a choice of texts, so they could have five or six different texts, which one are you into? And then you you also, you give the choice to the student. And I think that will probably motivate them a little bit more as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is, this is um, the idea of compelling input is um, Krashen's idea, not mine. And I uh, can't take credit for that one, but I absolutely, I, I buy it 100, 100% um, yeah. because, because just generally with language learning, the more interested you are in the topic area and the subject matter, the more motivated you will be to read and the more motivated you are to read and understand, the more you'll pay attention and the more you'll end up reading. And so, you know, the kind of net gain is just, is, is huge. And so, yeah, the idea of um, offering students the choice of, of what to read, I mean, Crash and Course is free voluntary reading, FBR. In an ideal world, you'd have, in a school scenario, you'd have sessions blocked out during the week where the kids would just go in, pick something they wanted to read and just read it for pleasure with no guidance, no instruction, nothing. So you're just fostering the reading habit. Again, teachers listening will understand the, 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 the huge practical difficulty of implementing that. But I think it's good to to have these conversations on, on on what the ideal is so that at least we can try to move in that direction yeah and i think this it's is why good. this is why i write books of stories but sorry to, to interrupt yeah, this is why no. i write books of stories because when i've learned other languages before I've, I've found it very difficult to find interesting material at lower levels so the reason i write my books of short stories is because I, that's what i want as a learner i want interesting stories that are not too difficult and that have short chapters and list of words to help me and, and things like that okay so you mentioned grammar briefly um now in one of your episodes your advice to people learning a second language was don't learn grammar before you need it now um how can this work in classes that primarily work with either a syllabus or traditional course books um both generally using grammar as, as the basis of each unit and i think also a lot of people if they're learning another language they will have learned in this kind of grammar vocabulary method yes yeah, so again there's a few different questions in there right so like yeah. why, why would i recommend something like that and then what to do about it in a, in, in a practical context right so so in brief so the, the situation is that most language curricula are focused on grammar they have a structural grammatical syllabus and they focus on teaching their view of, te- of teaching the language is to work through the grammar of the language step by step. That's essentially how you know, any textbook is organized. But we know that the vast majority of communication and meaning in a language is through vocabulary, not through grammar, which means by any objective view, it's the vocabulary that's more important than the grammar. And if you know words, for anyone who doubts this, you know, if you only had words and no grammar, you'd be able to get your point across yeah. somehow, right? I go bar tomorrow, want beer, right? You just got words and now if you have grammar but no vocabulary what can you say and obviously the answer is nothing and so the, the, my starting point is that to teach a language through grammar is to get things the wrong way around it's like building a house with the roof first it doesn't make any sense and so so that's why i i have that that view but the fact remains that language curricula and textbooks and so on are currently taught and arranged and organized through grammar so you know what what do you do about that um as a teacher, you depending on the context you're in, you may have more or less control over your over your syllabus. If you work in a in a school setting with very sp- particular specific end of term tests, 
it, there might not be much you can do about it. Yeah. You know, if, if, if kids' grades are based on their understanding of different grammar structures, well, that's what you've got to teach because otherwise you'd be deliberately failing them in their, in their tests. And so the problem here basically just goes all the way up to, 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 to government level. Ministry of Education priorities, and there are some very progressive uh, ministries of education in the world, and they are there are more and more differing um, viewpoints that can be seen in, in some school systems. But it's a very slow moving um, moving boat. And then, so I think with um, in a more in a freer context where you've got language teachers, maybe in a language school where they can kind of teach what they want, then I think the key is really just to kind of take the textbook as inspiration, but not stick to it too closely. Yeah. And so you know, I would always tend to do things like. Um, I would, the first thing I would do in a textbook is, is, is find the written texts and the audio texts and just use those as the basis for classwork. So get them reading, get them listening, and then try to try to encourage communication based on on that material. And then you can kind of sneak grammar in in other ways. You know, if you're if you're if you're talking if you're highlighting a particular phrase, for example, you can say, oh, by the way, did you notice the, uh, what is the, what's going on with the verb here? Can you see? And you just, you kind of, you, you just, you just highlight it and you raise awareness of, of the grammar and maybe do a, even do a little bit of grammar instruction from time to time, but it's kind of, it's, it's only in response to existing context. It's not the whole focus of the lesson. I think a lot of teachers would be quite scared to take that approach because <laughs> it's sort of really rigidly instilled in a lot of us, you know, like grammar vocabulary, this is how it's done kind of thing. And it gives teachers structure as well. Like it, it does. And it's also an important point is it's also what, what students expect. Yeah. You know, students' expectations are one of the one of the realities of the classroom that, that teachers have to deal with. If you as a Japanese student learning English have learnt English at school, then you've done nothing but grammar translation for 10 years. Mm. and so if you then go to take lessons with an English teacher as an adult what do you expect well you expect more of the same and so if you're going to do some kind of crazy new input-based approach with students you've actually got to re-educate them first before you can start doing that stuff I remember I, I, I went through a period of teaching um, Dogme or teaching Unplugged as, it, as it's known I'm not sure if you're familiar with this uh, it's a Scott Thorbury and Luke, Luke Medding's uh, approach to to teaching, which is basically, you know, emerging conversation. So textbooks out the window. Um, let's just create conversation here in the class and and learn based on that. And it was fantastic, and students loved it. But it took time. I had to tell them all about what I was what I was doing, and I, and I had to do, I had to kind of bring bring involve students in the methodology of the lesson, which is a very kind of novel novel thing for in a traditional approach. But it, but it can be incredibly effective if you, if you can bring students on board and explain to them what you're doing, why you're doing it, and get them to buy into the process and even contribute to it. Uh, then I think you can really get somewhere because yeah. you're, you're, you're shifting students from this problematic mentality that most students have of, I'm the student, I'm paying you money, now you teach me. And it's like, like you know, this, this 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 idea of like okay, I'm going to open my brain and I want you to pour the language inside. It doesn't work like that, you know. You, the student languages are learned, not taught. Yeah. So anything you can do to get students to just take some agency over their own learning is, is fantastic. And clearly, that is much easier to do in an adult teaching context than in a school. Yeah. But you know, if if, if the question is how to, you know, how do you get the best results for your students? I think that's that's something that that's fundamental. Yeah. And I, I also would argue that you said like you'd have to re-educate your students into this mad new methodology. I've, I've found that certain students of certain nationalities have to be re-educated even with the communicative context because they've just never had yeah. their learning's been so passive 
Yeah. They're just like, oh, deer in the headlights. I have to speak. What's going on? I don't like this. I've heard, you know, I think we've all had a lot of those um, reactions from certain students. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so then you've got the question of, well, if, if, if you are, this can be very culture specific. So I remember teaching in Japan and, you know, any teacher who's taught in Japan will, will know that getting students to kind of speak openly and freely and expressing their opinions um, on stuff is a difficult thing because Very. that's not that's not how um, society works in Japan. Mm. And then I went from Japan to the Middle East, and I was in the in, thrown into the chaos of a, of a Middle Eastern classroom where everyone's just like screaming their opinions left, right, and center. And the first thing that was just abundantly obvious right then was, well, hang on, like this is you can use the same methodology in two different contexts, and it can you can get two totally different results. So this is about, you know, teaching the, teaching the class, teaching the students in the room and not being too, too wed to any particular uh, methodology. Yeah. But this is where I think this for me only kind of highlights the, the drawbacks of being very um, dogmatic in, in, a, in, a, in a grammatical uh, syllabus, you know, because, you know, how can this work equally, equally well for different people in different contexts? It really, yeah. it really can't. So I mean, ultimately, it's about, it's about knowing your students and then being sufficiently skilled and experienced as a teacher to, to know where the intersection is between so-called good teaching and then what your students actually want and what's going to be best for them within that context. You can have the smartest, most engaged students in the world, but if, if they are not going to do any homework because they're too busy, then you've got to compromise. So it's all about compromise, isn't it? I mean, yeah. At the end of the day. I think it's going back to like learner autonomy or, you know, students taking ownership. It's, I think that's really difficult, especially younger students. You know, so I think like I was really, I was listening to some of your pods and you were talking about, you know, you've got all these tips of to learn how to learn a language, but I think self-discipline is the biggest one. I mean, even like last week, I decided I was going to brush up on my German it used to be mm. very good, terrible. So I started watching this really bad YouTube series. that was a bit like friends and I got three episodes in and then I left it for about four days. Like I just, you know, yeah. I didn't have the self-discipline to sit down for 25 minutes every day and do it. And I think I'm a relatively yeah. responsible grown up, you know, so yeah. Well, it, just goes to, it just goes to show that, that, that knowing some, like knowing the best thing to do is one thing, but actually doing it and following through is, is another. This is why I was on, on, a, on, a, on a, an interview just, just before talking with you. And we were talking about um, kids who get really into J-pop, mm. J-drama J and then um, and K-pop and K-drama. So Korean and Japanese music and, yeah. and anime, things like that. And um you know, it's fairly common to find teenagers in the UK or the US or wherever who get really into this stuff and they just spend three or four years of their life binging on Japanese cartoons or Korean dramas or something like that. And they're fluent in the language by the end of it, having just learned from their bedroom. It's not because they didn't, they, they probably didn't even think for a second about their language learning method. They just spent so long immersed in the language that they just learned through, through just sheer exposure. Uh, so yeah, this is like, um, and, but I think also that goes back to compelling input as well. They were obviously really into it. The learning yeah, exactly. side became effortless. So yeah, that compelling yeah. input is is absolutely essential, I think. There and I think a lot of that's missing in a lot of the textbooks and a lot of the schools, and especially if they're using outdated books. I remember using, I'm not going to say what it was, but it had <laughs> in the first unit, like um, a bunch of sort of pop brothers and sisters and you know, I was teaching young adults, none of them had heard of any of them. And one of them actually said to me, teacher, why are we doing this? I don't know any yeah, of these a, people. And I'm like, yeah, do you know question, what? Huh? Yeah, do you know what? Let's just yeah. forget it. So we just we just skipped it and moved on. Like, 
and but I was less experienced then, you know. But now, right. well, exactly. So that's where the experience comes in, isn't yeah. it? Because there, as a more experienced teacher, who when you, especially when you've taught a particular course book a bunch of times with different students in different countries, then you kind of know right away. Okay, that's not going to work. Let's yeah. give this a wide berth. Let's find something else. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, finding out what your students are into right at the beginning, I think, is is absolutely essential. Final question. So you're very much a proponent of learning a language yourself and not necessarily using classes or tutors, but yeah. teachers listening to this might be thinking, hold on a minute. Um, the points that you make for this argument are quite convincing, but I, I do think the majority of language learners do start in like a classroom environment or with a tutor. So what in your mind is a teacher's job? What a question. The teacher's job is to motivate and guide the student to places where they wouldn't be able to get to by themselves. My rationale for saying that, that you don't need a teacher is not so much to say that teachers can't be useful or valuable or that you shouldn't get a teacher, it, but it's just to help people question the status quo, which is that for most beginners, they think, okay, I want to learn a language. Therefore I go and get a teacher. Why should that be the case? You know, what, why, what about other options? What about um, all the, um, you know, myriad options for, for learning by yourself and the the answer is usually well they just don't know how to go about it and so it's just easier yeah. easier to find a teacher it's what you ex what you're used to it's what you expect but the, the kind of cool principle here is that you don't learn in the classroom you learn by yourself so the, you know there's never much learning that goes on in the classroom at, at, even at the best of times i mean you might be able to 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 perform some exercises do some speaking activities study some grammar do some vocabulary activities that is rather going through the motions, though. The place where, 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 where input becomes intake, to, again, to use more crash and language, is, is actually later when you go home and you're reading something and, 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 and you say, oh, that's that word I learned in class. Now, and then later when you go and speak to somebody, it's like, okay, what's that word I need to use? It's actually using the language by yourself. So any real progress in a language will happen in, during your own grappling and struggling with the language. And so for me, the, the real role of a teacher is to help facilitate that. So give students things to do by themselves outside class, um, motivate them to, tr to try new things to get more, more input. And, um, and so personally, the way that I use tutors, because I use tutors when I, when I learn languages, but what I do, I use them mostly for, um, for speaking practice and to get corrections and feedback on my speaking. I did, I did a project a while back um, when I learned Italian and I documented the whole thing on, on, on YouTube and in a, in a, it was a three month project. And I kind of, I just documented everything I did, what I, how I learned, what materials I used, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I followed this input based approach. So for the first month, I did no speaking whatsoever. I studied no grammar. All I did was listening and reading for the first month. And then I started speaking after that, after that first month. And I recorded my first whole week of conversations and you can see all of those on, on YouTube. And the specific benefit of a teacher at that point was to, to have conversations with her and to figure out what I was getting wrong and to get feedback and corrections on that. So it's less a teacher, more a sympathetic listener. Okay. So someone who will, who will indulge me in my kind of rust, in my rudimentary Italian and help me improve it. And there, there is very much, there's a huge amount of skill from the teacher that comes in. On that as well like knowing when to let me speak knowing when whether to spot correct whether to offer a delayed correction or echoing what i'm doing a lot of skill comes in comes into that and then from time to time saying look ollie you keep making this particular mistake why don't we just study that for a minute okay yeah um 
But that is quite different from a teacher saying, okay, class today, we're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to do that. And following a structured program, I think, I think it's a fundamentally different dynamic. And, Absolutely. Um, and it's not that, anything is right or wrong but it's just that for me the main thing that i want to achieve is to encourage learners to have as much agency over their own learning as possible because i think that's where the game is won yeah does that sort of method um you know using your tutor as a guide like you said does that work with non-beginners as well like if i wanted to brush up on my german oh yeah 100 yeah. percent, absolutely for sure and it's and it's easier that the high the higher yeah. you get because because you're able to receive more and more detailed and relevant corrections and more and more nuanced feedback yeah excellent um where can people find you on social media yes indeed well podcast listeners podcast fans um can search for the i will teach you a language podcast uh you can visit my website i will teach you a language.com and i'm doing a lot of youtube at the moment um so if you want to follow me on, on youtube i'm making some doing a lot of kind of fun creative videos there where i talk about different ways of learning languages so you can just go to youtube and search for ollie richards and uh, you'll find me there and say hi if you do reach out send me an email that's how, that's what you did right and, and i yeah, replied did absolutely. i not absolutely yes and i was delighted <laughs> and i'm really um happy that you took time out of your busy schedule because i know you're busy to talk to me so um thank you very much and um, maybe we'll do it again sometime it would be a pleasure thanks so much <laughs> <laughs>